0: Welcome to this week's episode of Not d and I'm your host, Jessica, and with me this week, we have our guest, Cesar. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me
0: uh so this week uh we actually met on on facebook we're in a group um which i think the name is uh, a beggar talk one. So i'm begging you to play a game that's not DD, which you can understand why i'm in that and you posted (laughs) about your game insurgent on there uh which sounded very exciting with this rebellion and tyrannical kind of theme to it uh and so i had to ask you on to come and talk to me about it uh so thanks so much for your time and coming on um, if you are listening or watching to the podcast, anything we're talking about, we will put links in the show notes sort of thing. So you can click and follow on there. And this week we are doing a pre-recording, um, but I'll be in the chat if you have any questions to answer live as well. Um, so before we dig into the game and, and talk about the game and the mechanics, I would like to talk about you a little bit. Um, right. because you're you are you're a little bit impressive as well when I was doing my research. <laughs> uh, so you, uh, in the Tabletop Awards of 2022, you were a finalist as a designer of the year. You've been named one of the top 10 indie tabletop RPG designers to watch in 2022. Uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about you and your background with games and, and, and how you got to where you are now. So what was sure. the first memory you have of playing uh, TTRPGs?
1: Well, I was... 12, so I'm talking 1994. And a friend mm-hmm. of mine said, oh, uh, let's go to the, our friend's house. He's, he, he's got his new game and uh, we roll dice and uh, something like that. I, I thought it would be like another kind of board game or something like that. And we got there and uh, he had uh, a kit called First Quest. Uh, it okay. was an uh, uh, AD&D version, uh, like an introductory kit for AD&D mm-hmm. that was published yeah. in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And uh, it came with uh, pre-made character sheets on a cardboard mm-hmm. with nice illustrations. Mm-hmm. And it came also with a CD that had parts of the narration of the adventure that mm-hmm. uh, would introduce like the atmosphere and the oh, mood. Nice. and then. It was super nice. And then after that, the GM picks up and continues Mm -hmm. narrating everything. And uh, the GM was also a very good uh, illustrator. So he would draw monsters and everything. So I sat there, 12 years old. Uh, I was the youngest at the table. And when those things started to click, you know, oh my God, I'm living, I'm immersed in a a fantasy world. The audios, the music, the sounds of the dripping Mm -hmm. water in the dungeon, and the monsters, I said, Oh my god, this is th- this is what I like to do. I just <laughs> didn't know that it existed. So yeah, yeah, I was hooked from the very beginning. We played a little mm-hmm. bit of it. Uh of course, uh the promise of the game and the reality of what the mechanics allowed us was to do mm-hmm. was very different, as you might expect from an A D D experience. So uh, mm-hmm. uh from the from the very beginning, I thought I think we can do this in a, in a in a different way, perhaps a simpler way. So the spark mm-hmm. of uh, hacking stuff was yeah. with me from the very beginning. Oh, but wow. yeah, we played uh, first quest for a while, and uh, and then went to D and D 3.5, and then some Brazilian RPGs as well. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, here I am.
0: Amazing. So with the, the the here I am. So you've been designing games for like seven or or eight years now, I believe. Um, yeah. how did you take that step to I mean like you say it sounds like since you first played you were thinking maybe we can tweak and maybe we can edit this but when did you start creating games and and sharing them with other people
1: well that happened around eight years ago because although I started playing as I said more than 25 mm-hmm. years ago there was a big gap during college uh, mm-hmm. I stopped playing after high school and I couldn't find a group during college and uh, mm-hmm. I just left it alone i i moved from my my city and i uh, mm-hmm. started living somewhere else so I, I lost contact with the groups i had so after uh we finished college all my group of friends actually finished college around the same time so we decided mm-hmm. to give it a, another go and uh, we started mm-hmm. playing D fourth edition mm-hmm. and then uh we stumbled upon some frustrations uh mm-hmm. mainly the thing that we, we wanted to feel like protagonists, like capable and mm-hmm. competent uh, heroes, but then the swinginess of the D20 system uh, mm-hmm. left us frustrated with the results. And uh, yeah. a, a friend of mine, which was, he was particularly unlucky with Dice Rose, like to play like this barbarian and then he said mm-hmm. i i can't understand that i'm standing right in front of a goblin with a like a war hammer, and i swing yeah. it at it and I miss it that doesn't make sense so so that mm-hmm. got me thinking uh, I, there's gotta be different ways to to explore this these games so mm-hmm. i started digging and uh, i discovered fate oh, actually yeah. it's covered a simple hack of fate that was called f-sharp mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. like a three-page doc online, and then I said, "Okay, this is a, a perhaps I can use this and propose some changes to the game." But soon I realized that uh, I would have to strip away pretty much the whole game and add the things mm-hmm. that I I wanted. Mm-hmm. So I decided, well, I can like write something that for for us to play uh, something that would be easy to introduce new players to, mm-hmm. and then that's when I decided to give it a go, and uh, I. Uh, released my first game using Google Slides as my software of choice to, to, to lay out Perfect. the game. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, I chose to do it on a uh, like a, a mobile screen format so that you could read the okay. game using your phone. Sure. So I, I uh, actually saved this as a PDF, of course, but uh, it mm-hmm. was formatted to read on a screen. And mm-hmm. I launched it in Brazil and it got some traction. Uh, of course, now mm-hmm. it, it doesn't represent the kind of game designer I am. It's like early stuff sure. that I made, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, it kind of gave me like the authorization to create, you know. So, you know what? I can do that. I, I don't need a company. I don't need mm-hmm. a printer. I don't need software. I can just type stuff on my computer and people might play it. So that was very liberating. Yeah. And I could never stop. I could couldn't stop <laughs> having ideas and uh, tweaking and making games since then.
0: Well, that makes perfect sense because if anyone goes to your itch page, there is uh, an awful lot of games uh, available on there. So. Um I'll put the link uh, in the show notes and up in the chat now. So if you want to go have a look and see the whole range of games that you have there. Um, Obviously, today we're going to be talking uh, about kind of your latest game that I mentioned, uh, Insurgent, that we want to talk about. Um, But one thing I noticed um, about a lot of your games is they are quite, like you say, accessible and rules light. And exactly what you said, for a lot of them, they're not like these big terrifying things. So I think it's really great for a lot of people if they're like, I've played a few games, but I don't want to sit and learn like a massive big rule book. I'd say a lot of your games are are quite, you know, have the option where you can come and sit and play and this very much feels like one for me, which is why um I was very excited to talk to you about it. So, could yeah. you give us an overview of the game? So, what is the theme? What is the setting? If people have never heard of insurgent, how do you describe it to them?
1: Right. So, yeah, insurgent is a game about toppling tyrants and looking good while doing it it's okay. uh, a game of uh, rebellion and panache so i want uh, people when play it to feel that they are empowered to to fight against oppression mm-hmm. that's that comes from a place I, i'm from brazil so a third world country and usually there are portraits of a rebellion from people from like third world countries they're expected to be like you know uh, okay, we're oppressed, but suffering in rags or, in, mm-hmm. you know, just uh, fighting with uh, the bare minimum, just like this mass of people that are not, uh, you know, empowered really. And there, there's this bunch of uh, the white folk heroes on the front mm-hmm. and the background of this mass of people that are just like not protagonists. So I wanted to mm-hmm. to, to create a game that allowed you to, fight but allowed you to feel good to like be awesome while doing it so uh there is no predefined setting actually Mm -hmm. there is a table for you to roll with inspirations for settings that go Mm -hmm. from like faithful fighting against the industry or things like inspired by Matrix, like we're we're living in a reality Mm -hmm. dominated by robots or artificial intelligence, to uh, time travelers or anything like that. But the Mm -hmm. main theme is rebellion against an oppression by Mm -hmm. people that uh, have the power to do so. You know,
0: amazing. Um, I love that it is so like you can have any setting. You say like you say you can make it in the past, you could make it fantasy, you could make it future, or you can make it like political modern. Times that you could do any kind of thing you want with it, which is is really really great. Um, so one thing I found really interesting about the game is it was um, well, there's well three things that I do on lots of things, but the three things I really want to talk about is the game doesn't use a GM, and it also can be played solo or co-op, and I thought that was incredibly flexible. So could you talk about how the game a- achieves all that flexibility with with such simple mechanics?
1: Right, of course, uh, all of my games are. Either GMless or, uh, or have a GMless option. Mm-hmm. I'm a very big believer in GMless games, and uh, th- this could be a topic for a whole hour of conversation. But uh, <laughs> okay, uh, briefly, uh, what I believe is that uh, when you remove the preconception of an intelligent being that will be present in the table with mm-hmm. acquired knowledge. That is not that does not belong to the game itself,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is the GM. If
0: mm-hmm. you
1: remove that preconception, you have to provide as a game designer the tools for your game to be run uh, without it. So uh, there mm-hmm. is uh, a, in almost all all games that have a GM, there are moments that it says, "Oh, the GM will decide when it applies." The G AM will make sure that everyone has a chance on the spotlight. The GM will drive the story forward and say what happens next. So if you remove that, I have to provide that. So I think GMless games make me a better game designer, as well as Mm -hmm. they remove this imbalance of authority and responsibility on the table that I think brings a lot of the tension. When you go for like the subreddits Mm -hmm. of RPGs and GM advice, there would be they would disappear 85% of them would disappear if they play jamless games so i'm a big believer mm-hmm. from a designing stand- standpoint and from a player standpoint on jamless games mm-hmm. it, so in order to do so to achieve that uh, we have to rely on oracles mostly oracles mm-hmm. for those that are not familiar are a series of tables or dice rolls or other mechanics that allow you to uh, substitute or to emulate what a game master would do. So instead of uh, asking a question to the GM that is not there, you ask a question to the Oracle, you roll some dice or flip some cards, depending on the game, and you get an answer. Perhaps this is a very straightforward answer. Perhaps there are some Mm -hmm. prompts, abstract words that you have to interpret and connect to the scenario you are currently in. So Mm -hmm. in Insurgent, I uh, used one of the the latter, an abstract form of those Mm for more general descriptions in case you want to describe a scene a person their intentions their motivations or things like that but also i provided a bunch of other tables that you can use to uh, create npc scenarios your own mission the challenges you're going to face and everything that you need to play without preparation so because of course if you Mm -hmm. don't have a game master you wouldn't prepare mm-hmm. an adventure for yourself. You just sit at a table, open the the t- open the book, and you just start rolling on the tables and uh creating the story as you go. So that's my preferred way of playing, because actually mm-hmm. most of my game design choices come from my own limitations. <laughs> so <laughs> I uh I have a very hard time absorbing lore. So uh for example, if I would mm-hmm. play something like World of Darkness that has like a yeah. hundred pages of uh, factions and clans, I can't absorb that, so I my games tend to be of those emergent narrative that mm-hmm. you construct the lore as you play, because that's how I feel most comfortable with, and Insurgent yeah. is no different.
0: I think that's very relatable to a lot of people as well, and I think it's a barrier for some people wanting to to play games is that I, I don't have the time, you know, I'm busy and maybe I have a job, this is my hobby I only have so many hours of free time i want to spend it playing games i don't want to spend it doing homework for my <laughs> exactly.
1: game um, yeah that's how i felt uh, when mm-hmm. i started playing games and uh, I, I didn't have the money to to buy the the, the books that was one of, of the first things i can't buy mm-hmm. like what three hundred dollars in books and then read 900 Mm -hmm. pages and okay but is there any other way that that I can enjoy this hobby so Mm -hmm. that uh, was a big motivation for me and it's still today I think with like this book Insurgents like 22 pages and I think I've been watching I I, uh, a friend of mine translated the game to Portuguese and played on YouTube and Mm -hmm. I mean this story that he created the world that came up with a a bunch of uh, random dice rolls on the tables, it was very engaging, very evocative. So I said, you know what, there you go, there's, there's your lore, you know, it's just a bunch of tables and off you go.
0: Amazing. So in the game, we're gonna be uh, rebelling against oppression, against tyranny. Um, what are the actual rules like? So we've talked a little bit about how we use oracles, but what's kind of the, the core resolution mechanic in the game?
1: Right. That was uh, indeed the major inspiration to write this game
0: because mm-hmm. I
1: had this idea for the longest time of having a game in which the amount of description you give to your action mm-hmm. uh, translates to how well you can perform on the dice roll. This is not okay. an original uh, uh, mechanic, by the way. This is uh, mm-hmm. the first time I read it was on wushu rpg which is now a free rpg about wuxia and kung fu and high action kind of games which is is very suited to this kind of mechanic the more over the top your description of your moves the better your chances to succeed but when i read it i can't help when i read a game i always start changing it in my mind how would i Mm -hmm. do it different because that's uh, my game design brain never Mm -hmm. turns off (laughs) okay so uh, i read that and i said you know what i like it but there is a little bit of crunch that i don't think i would need and more specifically uh i had reports from people that played games like that for example exalted and feng shui that use similar mechanics that it can get very tiring very quickly because if you're always going for a rich description of Every action you have, mm-hmm. sometimes I just, I just want to swing my sword. Please give me a yeah, break.
0: I just, I want to stop it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, uh, the, the the game system would penalize you if you did that, because then you would have mm. lesser ch- ch- uh, chances of success. So I wanted to address that. And uh, I was listening to a podcast uh, called My First Dungeon, and mm-hmm. they were playing Die, the, the role-playing game. That, oh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Grant Howitt and team, I, I forgot the name of the uh, the publisher. I want Rockard yeah, and Deckard. Rock and this, Deckard.
0: This, yeah. game. this game, <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: this big boy.
0: Mm-hmm. I've had them on the show before, so if people want to learn more about it, you can go back and listen to it. But yes,
1: it is pretty good. So I was listening mm-hmm. to it, and they were giving like those rich descriptions of uh, their first fight they had, like the coolest moves because it was the introduction of the characters and then I was reminded of this idea of mine of uh, uh, Trying something with this mechanic. So I t- tried to tackle it and I came up with a uh, sort of a balance So sometimes when you don't want to, to narrate a very rich description of your action,
0: mm-hmm.
1: okay, you're gonna get a, a, a Lesser die, but uh, you have mm-hmm. more chances of getting a, a lower result but you get a spark token, which allows you to spend it later on the game to do okay. something special. So it's pretty much you're trading a moment on the spotlight now that you don't want, just I don't want to be on the focus right now for a mm-hmm. chance later on to make a big impact on the story spending this that spark token. So mm-hmm. you're kind of, uh, you're not penalized for, mm-hmm. Letting go of a rich description every now and then. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's what I do. If you give a simple description, you you roll 1 to 20. If it's a little, there, if you add a second element, you roll Mm -hmm. 2 to 12. If you 3 elements, 3 to 8. And 4 elements or more, 4 to 6. And you're aiming to get 10 or more. So it's a very, uh, uh, it it tends to success. Most of my games are very leaning towards success. That mm-hmm. comes from a history of me rolling very badly in my games, <laughs> on my frustration yeah. or, or failures. Mm-hmm. And even then, yeah. uh, the game states clearly that a low roll, uh, th- th- you don't roll for success or failure. You mm-hmm. roll for the consequences of your actions. So everything okay. you describe happens exactly as you described it. But if your low roll, uh, if your roll is low, You get what you want, but you wish you didn't, you know, something, the consequences of your action are so bad that you prefer that it didn't happen. So it takes a little bit off of the the pressure of a high stakes role in a game that is supposed to, to allow you to feel empowered. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. No, that sounds really great. So for example, you could be like trying to access a door or something, like unlock it and you managed to do it because you but you your your role failed. So maybe it was so noisy it's called, you know, all these people to you or something. So right, that's nice. Yeah. So it's it's gonna move the story forward. It's not gonna go, Oh, you can't do that. No, sometimes never. that feels like okay, n- what now? And it feels like it doesn't stop this further stroke.
1: That's yeah. awesome
0: to hear. I love that. Um so you mentioned it's kind of what other the rules and mechanics do we have in the game so we've got that that core kind of mechanic there we know we can use oracles kind of for you know direction guidance when normally we'd look to the gm to do that um what are the things do we have in the game to consider
1: that's pretty much it in terms of mechanics mm-hmm. and, and it was yeah. a very deliberate deliberate choice that mm-hmm. have a single core mechanic and you don't mm-hmm. have any numbers attached to your character sheet or to okay. enemies or anything. Everything is determined by the, the narrative, the fiction. So
0: Amazing.
1: did I defeat the, the enemy with my role? I don't know, do you think so? Perhaps, if you're not sure, you can ask the oracle. There is a yes or no oracle, and you mm-hmm. roll the die, and you can ask, is the scene over? Uh, is there anything left to do? And you roll the dice, depending on the, mm-hmm. the likelihood that you think it's yes or no, you can adjust the role for that and off you go is my mission done mm-hmm. have i achieved what i what i need you can feel it in the fiction and decide it because there's another problem that sometimes other games including my games i'm uh, not uh, a part of it uh that uh, sometimes the fiction has ended but the numbers haven't so you see that like in combat you know the combat's technically over but there are like two guys hanging with three hit points each you know you're just like Okay, let's be done with it already. So I very purposely left in this game the decision to be made by the fiction. Like, I think we achieved what we wanted from this scene. Let's move on. Uh, Mm -hmm. What I liked to do uh, uh, was provide support for the narrative bits. Mm -hmm. Like uh, giving a rich description for your actions is not something that can... Come naturally most of the times and mm-hmm. perhaps even if it does you kind of repeat the same two or three descriptions for every action you have so I gave I gave a list of things you can add to your description to make it richer mm-hmm. so for example using the environment around you mm-hmm. uh, bringing in a flashback some part of your story or your past mm-hmm. and uh, giving those big anime moment, moments and you you know you resort to, to something that you heard or listened in the past uh focusing on a particular equipment or gear that you have uh focusing on cinematics like camera angles movement zoom slow motion and things like that riffing off of the actions of your friends and colleagues so uh combining actions you jump and you leap and the other person throws something in the air and you hit it with Mm -hmm. it you know so there are lists, there's a list of things you can add uh, as elements, and there's also a list that can be treated as a table for costs mm-hmm. and complications when your role is not that good, but uh, that's another thing that happens w- with games with partial success, such mm-hmm. as PBTA games, that mm-hmm. seven to nine wow. uh, results that PBTA games usually have can be a little taxing on the GM, or in this case, on, on yourself, That you have to get what you want, but also introduce a complication. So there is a list of costs you can, like, resort to to inspire you on how to complicate the scene if you don't get a full success.
0: Okay, great. Well, I think I imagine I'm imagining now if you're doing a playing this game solo, those tables and prompts are going to be really useful to you when when playing the game, just so you have that inspiration, something to bounce off. Um, how different is the game? Well, I imagine quite a bit, but how different does it play being solo versus cooperative with other people?
1: That's a very interesting question. Uh, most of my games, as I said, can be played both ways, but um, some, uh, perhaps the mechanics uh, remain pretty much the same, but I mm-hmm. think the dynamics especially change quite mm-hmm. a bit. And what I mean by that is that sometimes Oracle roles are replaced by a nice conversation with your with your group so mm-hmm. you can instead of asking the oracle if something happens you can horizontally discuss hey guys what do you think should be an interesting consequence here and when we remove the, the game master usually you remove together that innate uh, feeling that we have, that we need to challenge authority, even if the GM is not on an adversarial position, if you see that person as someone that is responsible for placing obstacles in front of you, you kind of have this mindset that everything that I have to do is supposed to overcome those obstacles. So you kind of uh, optimize your choices to, be, uh, to get the best results as possible. When you remove that and you're playing a group, suddenly the necessity of overcoming obstacles is second to the idea of creating an interesting story together. So perhaps people are riffing off each other on ways that they can fail, on ways that they can complicate their lives simply because that would lead to a more interesting story. And uh, this is a dynamic that I see happen naturally when, when playing cooperative games. It just, oh, perhaps I, I don't get this at this moment. I, I stumble and my sword flies around the other, uh, the other corner of the room in that, and you're there. How about you try to run and get it? Oh, okay. And this uh, prioritizing of story versus success, I think it's a bonus that you get, an experience that you get. When you're riffing off uh, on a corporate game without a GM, so that and also uh, the uh, bouncing off of ideas, like uh, when you get stuck describing something, you can uh, you can simply ask around. You have tables if you're playing solo, but sometimes I don't know, guys, what do you think should happen here? And uh, as long as you make sure that the person that is responsible for the action has the first and last say regarding their own things. It's a very nice exercise to, to get those brainstorming on what should happen next, interpreting the results of an abstract oracle as well. So yeah, I think the dynamics are very interesting and different from a solo experience, which, in on the other hand, grants you the space to focus more on the parts that you are interested in mm-hmm. when you don't have to to pay attention on sharing the spotlight or making sure everybody's having fun Mm -hmm. when you're focused on playing by yourself if you want to like spend 25 minutes detailing the the fort that you're about to invade that's okay roll on how many tables you want but uh, Mm -hmm. it's a a very different kind of experience
0: for sure with this solo game i've Uh, I've been exploring that a bit recently and I've had some people on that do solo journaling games. So people kind of write down their story. We've had some where people have made it almost like a a radio drama where they say you speak it and record it. Do you recommend people kind of capture their solo game in in a particular medium or way?
1: Oh yeah. For me, things that work, that might sound out there, but, uh, voice messages on a, a, an app a message Mm app, uh, like whatsapp or something like that you just uh, Mm -hmm. record a a brief uh, description of uh, your scenes and then you can listen back when you you get back to to your playing and uh, if you're brave enough you can export those audios straight from whatsapp to Mm -hmm. anchor.fm and you have a podcast an actual play solo podcast how nice is that And uh, if, you don't, if you're not into journaling, because sometimes people think, oh, I'm not a novel writer. I don't intend to write sure. a novel. Mm-hmm. You can use notes very efficiently for uh, solo games without resorting to journaling. Uh, you can mm-hmm. simply have bullet points. I would recommend yeah. uh, scene, uh, column, uh, brief description of the scene. What's the main challenge? How did it go? And what c- happens next? Three bullet points per scene and uh, when you if you have to stop because that's one mm-hmm. advantage of solo games you can play like 15 minutes on your lunch break mm-hmm. if you have to stop and you need to come back like a quick scan of those bullet points gets you right back into action you don't need to share mm-hmm. those notes with anyone it's just for you yeah. and uh but if i if i had the, the it's not even the talent in this case but now, the physical condition, because I have a very big problem on my neck, it doesn't allow me to write by hand or draw. But I've seen people mm-hmm. uh, mixing their solo play reports with sketches uh, mm-hmm. on bullet journals and everything. It oh, doesn't wow. need to be like uh, huge descriptions, but they sketch the NPC or perhaps they sketch the scene and make some notes around it. And it makes for mm-hmm. a very good memoir of our actual play. So if you're into yeah. that or arts and crafts, you can do something like that and the results are phenomenal
0: that does sound great i think that's great advice not just for playing um obviously playing insurgent but also for just playing any kind of solo game i think those points you said could could be used for any of them so thank you very much for sharing that oh no problem with Insurgent, um, for me, I'm thinking of so many one-shot, um, like one sessions I could run with people together uh, because it's zero prep, prep, simple rules. We'll all create a collaboratively, together, co- collaboratively Sorry, together. Um, so that seems great for like a one session. It's like, hey, are you free tonight? Let's come, let's play a game. Um, obviously, it's great for that. Does it play well as a campaign? So if you wanted to play like an ongoing story with your friends, would this
1: work for that? I think so. Uh, one thing that I made sure is that I like to, to give players in, in my games a, a, a sense of what the end game Mm-hmm. looks like you know what i mean uh, yeah. because uh, i tend to see the traditional games are very open-ended and uh, what mm-hmm. happens when you reach a certain point of the game so mm-hmm. uh, the the purpose of this game is to uh, have players performing a very meaningful mission and mm-hmm. toppling down the uh, the oppressing regime they're fighting mm-hmm. against however after you executed a mission you you go for a collective reflection if you're playing in a group, mm-hmm. and you have to discuss the outcomes of your actions. What did you mm-hmm. achieve? What did you lose? What unexpected consequences did your actions have? It's not about winning or losing actually, but understanding what you've crafted so far. Was it worth it? Was it enough? What happens now? So depending on this, the outcome, it's not, again, not attached to any number of any sort. Uh, you might feel that there is more to be done regarding toppling down the tyrants. Or you might feel that those particular heroes have done what they can do and it's time for they pass the torch to somebody else. So the game concludes with uh, each player like, summarizing their character's reflection on the mission and uh the state of the rebellion at this point so uh, is their character hopeful for the future they perhaps they're a little bitter of because of the struggles they faced they do they think they made the difference really or they're questioning their path do do, do they want to keep fighting because you know fighting against a, a rebe- uh, an oppression is hard it's not uh, like trivial even though you were capable so uh uh, whether you feel like victorious or desolate the game is, is does not lie on the the mechanical results of your mission but uh, on this collective understanding yeah. of uh, what you've achieved and the chances uh, the possibility of change that you've shown so uh you might go ahead and make an, another set of characters for the same scenario that you craft
0: mm-hmm. or you
1: might you know, just give these this characters a moment to to relax, to reflect, and then they're off to another mission. I think it can be played for for a while, actually.
0: Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, thank you. Um, So speaking of, we talked a lot about the game. If people are listening and they're like, do you know what? Yes, I want to try this. I want to give it a go. Where's the best place for them to pick up a copy or, or buy it?
1: Right. Um, so the game is available on, on my H store, Uh uh, H.io, yeah, it's, so it's my last name, which is Capacly, C-A-P-A-C-O-L-E, or capable with a C. Dr. <laughs> H.io, uh, yeah. slash Insurgent. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's already it's already available PNP Arcade as well. I've been putting my games there mm-hmm. as well, and uh, with good reception, which I was surprised. I thought it would be focused more on card games and board games, but uh, mm-hmm. role-playing games are, are selling well there as well, mm-hmm. so you can go there. And uh, the game also... Uh, what I try to do with all my releases since I'm I live in Madeira Island. So I'm mm-hmm. literally in the middle of the ocean Over, So it's kind of hard okay. for me to offer physical copies of my games. Sure. So what I do instead is if you buy the PDF, you get a net cost coupon for the print on demand version that you can buy at your, your oh, okay, home. great. Right, so it's uh, I don't get any revenue from the, the print version because you have to pay for them, for Lulu in this case, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. actually print it and you pay shipping. So Lulu is good because they have printing uh, the, I don't know, facilities in the US, in the UK, Australia, France and Germany, so they cover a lot of ground, and I don't have to stress with <laughs> sending yeah. physical copies from a tiny island in the middle of mm-hmm. the Atlantic to people yeah. all around the world. And it's uh, a very fair price and a very good quality. I've been told. So uh, if you go there and you you get get you get the game, you get a coupon for a net cost printer demand uh, version of the game as well. So Perfect, thank you. There you go.
0: And I noticed you do some community copies as well uh, for free, as well, I I do. Yeah. I do. Uh, yeah.
1: Uh, when I launch the game, I usually put a couple dozens of uh, community copies. And for every sale I have, I add one more.
0: Amazing. Well, that's great. Thank you so much. Well, yeah, uh, go check that out there if you've been listening and are interested, because the best way to support uh, indie tabletop RPG creators is to buy their stuff. Um, <laughs> We've, I've asked you a lot of questions about the game, but if I've missed something or somebody has a question they want to ask, how's the best place that they can get in touch with you?
1: Right. So I have every, everything, all my stuff is under bentome kapakli, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I've just recently purchased a, a quirky little domain because uh, my last name is, is kind of hard for most people to remember or to mm-hmm. even understand when I pronounce it. So wacky.games. You mm-hmm. get everything that I do <laughs> on, on Itch, on drive through. You get access to my both of my newsletters. I have a newsletter on game design specifically, and a newsletter to spotlight global South creators as well. Uh, mm-hmm. There is. All the storefronts that I have are there on this on this URL. Uh, RPG upper t-shirts, and everything that I've done in the past are also there. If you want to uh, want to check it out, and uh, yeah, that's the best place to find all my stuff.
0: Fantastic, that's great. So wacky.games Games is the place to go. One stop shop. <laughs> um, it's quite
1: quite a fun URL, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's easy to remember for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and my last question I'm going to ask you, which I, I ask everyone, is: Do you have any recommendations for any other kind of indie uh, tabletop RPGs? And the rules are: It can't be one you've made because we've just spent some time talking about your game, and obviously it's not D and D as well, so it can't
1: be D and D. Absolutely. So yeah, Jessica, if you allow me, I'll, I'd like to profess my answer with mm-hmm. a, a bit of an introduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if most people are aware, but uh, when you are a creator from the global south, there are some some barriers. Uh, they're perhaps invisible for people on the north
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh which are for example kickstarter kickstarter is only available for 25 lucky countries in the world if you're not born, born in the right country you're out you can't run projects with kickstarter uh taxes you if you have don't have a treat with the US which is the case in brazil every sale you have on like itch besides the te- the, the fees of the platform you 30% of everything you you sell is taken for for taxes as well there are currency exchange problems with platforms with paypal and everything there's visibility of course we can't sell on brick and mortar stores we don't go to conventions to shake hands of people and get mm-hmm. and be known and uh, we're struggling to you know speak in, in a second language write in a second lang- mm-hmm. language language just to be seen and survive i am a full-time game designer and i gotta say it's not an easy thing and uh, uh, so we have to fight for every inch of space so if you're listening to this podcast and you want to support people from the global south we are a very creative bunch I, i assure you you're gonna see different perspectives different ideas different ways to approach game design gaming and traditions and everything. It's a very colorful, a very broad world. I have more contact with uh, Latin America, of course. uh, So there is Mm -hmm. RPG Latin and also Southeast, I'm sorry, Southeast Asia RPG-C. So those are two big communities of creators, but there are Mm -hmm. more, of course. And what I did Uh, was I I talked about it on Twitter. I published a thread. It was seen like 90,000 times and ended Mm -hmm. up as an article on Dicebreaker. So I thought, what can I do? So people started asking me, okay, where can I find these people? Because Mm -hmm. H.io is not very good in discoverability. It's actually terrible in discoverability. So (laughs) I I put together a collection of games, Mm -hmm. uh, of uh, tabletop games by Global South designers. Now there are more than four hundred games there, and uh, if you are a creator from the global south or it's diaspora, and you want your game to be included there, just shoot me a DM. All my contacts are on wacky.games and mm-hmm. I include it. So there, there is a lot of great stuff there, and you can explore. Most of the games are in English. Some of uh, are in their native language, but most mm-hmm. of them are in English, so they are accessible to a broader audience. And there's so much good stuff out there, out of the axis of US, UK, and main countries in Europe. I Mm -hmm. think everybody gains when you check out these people. And uh, if you give the platform, you Mm -hmm. can literally change a life of one of those creators. And uh, I speak from experience. When I have the chances like that, Jessica, that you're giving me, it actually makes a difference on our living. So, yeah. Thank you very much for that
0: no problem so you're recommending 400 games today which i think is the record on the show the most number of (laughs) games anyone has ever recommended at the end of their show Uh, so check out the link there um that itch link that is on the screen now or in the show notes in the podcast and there's 400 so i'm sure there'll be a theme or some sort of element that that will grab you there Uh, that's really great well that brings us to the end of the show Thank you so much for your time and, and coming on and sharing your games with us. Uh, I'd be more than happy to have you back on again when you have uh, another game you'd like to share, which right, I'm sure sure will be the case soon, because you're very prolific. There are many games that you've <laughs> done. Oh, uh,
1: if you don't mind, uh, uh, as this is aired, I, I'll be having mm-hmm. a crowdfunding campaign running right now. So, oh, uh, right, yeah. okay. Yeah, so it's Nexolids. It's a bright fantasy RPG. It's mm-hmm. uh, about exploration, growth, camaraderie mm-hmm. in a, a world of a thousand aisles. Also, Jambles and cooperative, uh, focus on a hopeful, optimistic way of uh, exploring a fantasy world. So it's like the opposite of dark fantasy. So that's what I call bright fantasy. It's nice. on CrowdFunder. And uh, mm-hmm. if, uh, if you want to check out, there will be a link of it on my Wacky.Games as well. You can check it out. It will be running until the end of July. So if you don't mind my plugging it
0: absolutely plug away that (laughs) sounds great yeah go to wackygames.com to check out the link for that it'll be running into July that sounds really great and with that we'll end this week's episode of Not D&D thank you so much for watching or listening we'll be back next week with another indie tabletop RPG creator to introduce you to Zah thanks so much goodbye thank you bye bye